Hey, this is Israel. Here at the river, we're all about the message of the gospel of peace. That the Bible says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel or the good news of peace. So we have good news for you. The war is over. God is not angry at you. God is in love with you. And you can have peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we hope this message is a blessing to you. You can visit us online at theriverdurant.com for more. I'm Israel. I am the youth pastor here at the river. And uh, today we're going to be talking about peace. You don't have to do that. It's a good thing, by the way, when, when the person who's preaching is hungry. And I'm starving right now. I know there's soup over there. So... I think by 11.15, I'm just kidding. Not that, I'm not that quick. I do talk fast, but not that fast. All right, so today, the, the title of this sermon, if it needs a title, is Don't Worry, Be Happy. So if you could open up to Romans 14, verse 17, that's where we're going to start. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to open up to that in a minute too. But Romans chapter 14, verse 17, says, For the kingdom of God is not a mat- matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.11, jump there for just a minute. If you don't get there in time, don't worry about it. I'm not saying this, this is Paul. I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In Matthew chapter 6, this is where we're actually going to delve in a little bit deeper. We're going to open up Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, it, is not life more than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to this life? And why do you worry about clothes? You might notice too, by the way, I'm reading in a different version from this. You get both sides of it. I'm reading from the New International Version. I just like that. It's a little bit more flowy, a little bit more uh, modern English. Disagree with that? Don't worry. You have the New King James right up here. But, uh, it says, why do you worry about clothes? Verse 28. See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry tomorrow for, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus, right now, God, we open up our ears, God, to hear what you have to say. God, we don't want to just hear words. We want to hear your voice. God, we want to understand, receive, and apply these words to our, to, to our lives, God. We want to apply your word, which is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. We want to apply your word to our life, God, and experience the transformation that comes from knowing you, Jesus. So, all right. 
In Romans 14, 17, one more time, it said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, Curtis, if you've been coming here for a little while, lately he's been talking about how righteousness was was an incorruptible seed, and that incorruptible seed had to be planted in peace. And on the other hand, joy, I'm I'm just going to tell you straight up, without peace, you're not going to have joy. Okay, so uh, I mean, seriously, if you're just, if you're always worried, if you're always, you know, troubled about things, if, think, if your kids are going crazy in your house, and you're just like pulling your hair out, you're not pulling your hair out because you're happy, you're pulling your hair out because you're stressed, because you have no peace. So we're just kind of bringing that in, we're, we're not totally setting aside righteousness and joy, but we are going to focus in today on peace, the peace of God which passes understanding. And now when I say peace, I'm not talking about piece of outside circumstance, right? Because you cannot control the circumstance around you. And you know, God will affect the circumstance around you, but you're still going to have circumstances around you. How many guys have been Christians for a while? You don't, you know, you actually don't even need to raise your hand. It might be kind of awkward, but uh, I say it too late. I'm like, raise your hand. Oh, oh, that one's, that one's a newbie. Everybody look down. Just kidding. But if you've been Christian for a while, you might have realized that, you know, although somebody might have promised you that it would all be you know, blue skies and rainbows and unicorns and stuff, that life is actually pretty hard still. The life still has its tough, tough times. You still go through trouble. You still sometimes get sick. You still sometimes run into, run into problems where you are very tempted to worry. But see, the peace I'm talking about isn't the situation around you because even Jesus went through storms. Jesus hung on the cross, for goodness sake. See, that, I mean, that was not a peaceful situation by any means. You're not just like, oh, that's cool, I'm getting nails in my hands, so, you know, whatever. It's not a peaceful situation, but did Jesus have peace? Yes. So, Matthew 6.30 basically promises something to people of little faith. I think we could all hopefully say here that we have at least a little bit of faith. We're in church, so that, that means, like, there's at least a little part of us that's like, you know what, maybe, maybe some little good will come out of this if I go to church. So 630, 6.30 said this, let me just see here. If that is how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So listen, he's not even talking about someone who's living in the kingdom. He's not talking about somebody who is really faithful, who's serving him. It's just somebody who's like, maybe God will be able to take care of me. They're going to get clothed. They're going to get fed. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or, the, or begging for bread. You know, just a little faith, and God's going to take care of your needs. But do you want to live in provision, God taking care of your needs, or do you want to live in promise? All right. So the promise of God is more than just God fulfilling your needs. It's that God is going to put his peace in you. That God is going to give you peace no matter the situation. That not only do you not, not only will you get the clothes and the food, but in the meanwhile, you don't have to worry about the clothes and the food. In Strong's just uh, you know, some people like in the Greek, it says this. I have not studied Greek. I do not speak Greek, Latin, Hebrew, any of those languages. I don't even speak Spanish. I studied French in high school. Bonjour, whatever, you know. That's about it. But, uh, but you know, anybody, anybody can get online. If you ever want to study the Bible in a little more detail, Bible.cc, great resource. The same resources that pretty much every pastor uses. Stuff like Strong's. It's all available right there with a sing- single click. But I just want to, so I'm not, I'm not saying this out of my deep education, but just out of a little tiny bit of research. In Strong's, 
One of the definitions for the word used for peace in Romans 14 is this, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatever sort that is. I like that. Whatever sort that is, it's content. Going back for just a second, Philippians 4.11 said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation. That's the peace of God. Now I'm going to need three volunteers. I'm going to need a kid, first of all. Yeah, go ahead and run up, man. Come on. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll, need, I'll need two other people. So who wants to? Probably just one other kid. All right, cool. Hey, Stephen. How about you, man? Voluntold. Yes. So uh, some of you guys, how many of you guys come on Wednesday nights? Heard a little bit of Pastor's spirit, soul, and body teaching. He's, he's really messed me up. I can't, I can't help but like, end up incorporating that in a lot of things I, I do and say. So, so you're going to hear some of that. But uh, I need you guys in a specific order. You. I need you over here. This is the flesh. Yes, give me five. You get the fun part. Okay. I need you over here. Mr. Spirit. He's got white. Very spiritual. Very, very like Jesus, you know. Jesus wears white, just so you guys know. All right. And then here in black, we're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> Who wears black? But uh, we have the soul. All right. And so, Spirit, I need you to lay down and take a nap. Yeah. Okay. So for just a minute, just a quick refresher or, or introduction for those of you that do not, have not heard some pastors teaching on spirit, soul, and body. You know, the Bible says that we are spirit, soul, and body, that God is, just as God's triune, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we also have spirit, soul, and a body. This body, you know, you can kill this body. You can't kill my soul. My soul is my thoughts, feelings, emotions, my will. It's what's inside of me. It's what brings this body to life. It's what just made my arm move up like this for no reason. It's what's making my mouth speak. And then inside, there's also a spirit. And right now, that spirit has already been recreated by God, that I am a new creation. This part of me when I got saved didn't change. My eyes didn't suddenly turn blue, hair blonde, you know, suddenly a Nazi or anything like that. You know, the body stayed the same, but my spirit was reborn. And so peace is a little bit something like this. I need you to just go crazy, really crazy. I need you to really try to drive your dad insane. (laughs) You got lucky because it is his dad. All right. It's like this. You can just keep going for a while. But, uh... When I wake up in the mornings, I have, I have three kids, so uh, I was not very good at, at waking up in the middle of the night with my baby. When, when I had my first baby, it was, it was very delusional and kind of scary. I was, I was not aware of what was going on. So uh, we, yeah, without going into too much detail, you know, we uh, worked out a little system that you need to keep going crazy. Keep going crazy. Run around. Do something. Yeah. All right. Just not, all, not up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so we worked out a little system that my wife will wake up with the babies in the middle of the night, and I get the pleasure of waking up in the middle of the morning. Keep going, man. Keep going. I need you to keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. But see, I have to wake up early in the mornings with my kids, so whenever my kids wake up, my wife stays in bed, I get up, and uh, so I'm usually up at like 6 or 6.30, and I'm, you know, half awake. I'm, I go out, sit on the couch, flip on the TV, you know, try to put on some cartoons for my kids. And it's like that lapse of judgment where my kids have started just running around like crazy in the living room, you know, causing chaos. And all of a sudden, though, I see the, the inside of my eyelids. 
And they're just like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good sight. And, <laughs> and the next thing you know, I wake up and I'm like, okay, there's a mess to clean up, whatever. You know, lapse of judgment, like I said, that's not a good idea, but it happens sometimes. Sorry. But uh, the spirit in that example is the, the sleeping me, the me inside that just wants to relax, that despite the fact that my kids are going crazy, it's all good. You know, just like, and then the soul, the soul here is, is kind of torn between the two, between being distracted by this insane little boy running around in circles, the situation, the circumstance, the thing on the outside, the flesh, what we see going on around us, versus what's going on in the spirit, that we are at rest, that we are loved, that we are righteous, that we have everything provided for us, that we have faith that God will provide for our clothes, our food. Okay, you can, you can take a little break. You guys can stay up here for a minute, though. If you guys want to sit down, you can. But, uh, thank you guys. All right. But your spirit is righteous, assured of salvation. So, that was the promise of the kingdom. The promise of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, and also that your needs will be provided for. But there is an enemy of the promise. In Matthew 6.25, just to kind of abbreviate that since we already read it, it says, so I tell you, don't worry about the things of this world. The pagans run after them. The enemy of the promise of God is this focus. You'll you'll see as we get into this that the question of peace is really a question, just a focus, of what you're focusing on. The enemy of the promise of peace, joy, and righteousness in your life is worry. Don't worry about the things of this world. The pagans run after them, it says. So worry, just a Google definition for you guys here, just quick definition of what worry is. To worry is to give way to anxiety or unease and allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. In the Greek, it means to be troubled with cares, to be anxious about, to be distracted, to be torn apart, divided in two directions by. Worry goes back to right before we start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Let me just go ahead and just pull that right up here. I've had an interesting day, by the way. This was not meant to be on paper. <laughs> but in Matthew chapter 6, 24, can you put that up on the screen actually? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And another version just says money. Just put it back on verse 24. I need you to stand back up. And I know you're super strong. I'm going to need your strength right now, but get out into the side of your dad again. You can stand up. And I need you guys to just, uh, you need to take him over there. You need to take him over there. Go ahead and grab his hand. And yeah, worry is this. Worry is this getting torn apart. Literally, like I said there in the Greek, it was, it was divided, torn apart. Your attentions are distracted. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's exactly it. He's doing a good job. Yeah, all right, you guys can sit down. But, uh, Worry is at best your heart being pulled in both directions by the things of the flesh and by the things of the spirit. At best. At worst, worry is your heart totally abandoning thoughts of the things of the spirit because it's so distracted by the things of the flesh. Worry is a distraction or a division. And either way, it's keeping you from the things of God. And God said, the verse right before we started this, verse 24, it said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And he immediately goes in talking about 
you know, food and clothes. He's not talking about serving, getting rich even. He's talking about just our standard daily stuff, stuff we need. But if you're serving those needs, you can't serve God at the same time. Your focus is divided. Your focus is distracted. It's on the wrong things. Where peace comes from faith in things of the Spirit, worry is the total enemy of it. Worry is the seed of doubt in your head. Worry causes you to look away from the Spirit and look at the situation. Now, you guys probably all know the story of Peter. When they saw Jesus walking out on the water towards the boat, they all freak out, think it's a ghost, think they're all going to die. You know, they're, they're experiencing paranormal activities or something. And they, they look out of the water, and Jesus, you know, it's me, and Peter's, Peter's like, okay, this is my chance. I like Peter, because honestly, we give him a hard time, because eventually he sinks. But hey, he got out of the boat. Not many of us would do that. But he says, Jesus, tell me to come out there to you. Come on, Jesus. Let's do it. And so Jesus says, okay, come on. So Peter steps out of the boat. Water, awesome. And he's walking to Jesus. He's like, but there's a storm going on this whole time. And while he was focused on Jesus, he takes his focus off of Jesus and starts to look at the situation around him. He starts to see the storm. His attention is divided or distracted. He's no longer putting his focus on Jesus. And what happens? He sinks. He starts to sink. And you know what? Even in that time, oh, him of little faith, Jesus does provide. Jesus does save him. Peter is saved, but he could have just kept walking on water. He could have had an incredible time. You know, he did it for a few steps, but he could have just been like, you know what? I'm running laps. I'm going around the boat, Jesus. I'll be right back, you know? So you can experience the promise, or you can just, you know, get distracted by the situation and maybe, you know, experience God's provision, God's saving hand. God can save you, or you can enter into the kingdom. So worry will steal the promise for you. It will steal your peace. It will steal your joy. It will even steal your righteousness. And that may make you stop, want to stop me for a minute because you've heard, you know, Pastor talking about we're righteous. We're not righteous by our works. We're righteous by what God has done for us. I'm not contradicting him. So let me just uh, qualify that statement for a second. We talked again about how we were spirit, soul, and body. God has made our spirit righteous. God is making our soul righteous. Someday, God will recreate this body in righteousness. God has saved us. God is saving us. Someday God will save us. But you see, what happens is, although our spirit is righteous, our thoughts, emotions, and you know, will are not always so focused on righteous things. And our actions, certainly, we do some unrighteous things. So your actions are really just the performing you know, of whether, you, whether you're doing righteous things or not. That's not whether or not you are in right standing with God, but are you living in right standing with God? Are you living in such a way that is right standing with God? And see, worry affects that by affecting the soul. It starts with your soul, and it takes your focus off of the things of God and back onto the things of the world, and so you start this cycle of sin in your life. Instead of putting your thoughts and emotions in righteousness of God, you put it in the things of the world. Just some simple examples. If you have a really daunting situation in front of you, if you're really facing something hard, terrible, rough, you're a little more likely to go out and get drunk, right? I mean, if you drink, hopefully, I mean, you know, hopefully you guys don't have a major problem with that, but let's face it, people have problems with that. And that's, okay, you know, we're not, I'm not looking down on you. I'm pointing out, though, that, yeah, when you're stressed out, when, when the situation looks big, that's when you're going to turn to that the most. You know what? If, if I have a fear of failure, that's when I'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed. No matter, no matter the cost. When it, when, 
when I'm worried about trying to reach this goal that the world has set for me for success, that's when I'm going to be willing to cut anyone down, you know, do any cheat to get to the top. If a kid who's, who's afraid they're going to fail on their test, that's when they're going to cheat. It's not when they're confident that, yeah, I've got this down. They're going to be like, yeah, I've studied, I've got this, and then look at someone else's notes. They've got it. It's when they're worried that they're going to cheat, right? So it's, I mean, it's when you're worried about fitting in, fear of rejection. When you have a fear of rejection in your life, that's when you're going to do whatever it takes to fit in with a crowd. That's when you're going to cross lines that you wouldn't normally cross because of the people you're with. It all starts with fear. And see, those are just some very surface issues, but it goes a lot deeper. And I mean, as we are adults, we all have this drive for, for success in some way. I mean, to at least fulfill our family's needs, right? That we want to take care of things. We, want to, we don't want to have to worry. You don't have to worry. But we don't want to have to worry about where the food's going to come from, where you know, we're going to be able to buy our kids' clothes. But as we start to focus on those things, as success becomes a priority, we start to slip away from God. That's a really simple example for me, just as a youth pastor, I've seen this, unfortunately. But uh, with young adults, when they graduate high school, you know, they're encouraged, and for good reason, you know, to go to college, get a career, you know, find, find where they're going to go. They're even encouraged to, you know, participate in the college life, whatever. But what happens is they go to college, they get a job, they have homework, they have friends, you know, they hope to get sleep every now and then, you know, whatever. Every now and then, right, Chris? <laughs> but, uh, and somewhere in there, it's, it's really hard to find time to spend with God. That maybe they were going to church all the time before. But now, you know what? I have a job on Sunday and Wednesday, so I mean, you know, I can't make it. You know what? Honestly, in college, whatever, whatever situation you're in, you can find time for God. It may not be Sunday and Wednesday. It may be another day. It may be another church. It may be only by yourself. But you can find time for God in your life. There is no, there is no obstacle in this world that can keep you from God. But if your focus is on those things, if your focus is so on success that you're willing to keep pursuing, you know, willing to put in those 90 hours a week to where you really just, you know what, when it comes that you do have time for God, you're just too worn out for it. Then you know what? Success has become really a God in your life. That you're more, it's more important to you to make money, more important to you to, to be looked upon as something good, as you've done something with your life, than to really do something in your life with God. So, number three. Just one second. Matthew 16, 619. Let me just actually read that real quick first. Do not store up for yourself. We're moving kind of backwards, if, in case you haven't noticed, through Matthew chapter 6. We started verse 25, went forward back 24. Now we're going back to 19. But do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you going to sacrifice things that are eternal for things that are temporal, for things that are going to disappear, dissipate, rust away, be stolen? Your success on this earth can be stolen. You can lose your job. You can lose your career. You can be found out for what you really are. (laughs) But your success in heaven can't be stolen away from you. The things we do for God, the things we do in God's work, you know, they, they're, they have eternal effects. So number three, we had the promise of 
the kingdom, the enemy of the promise. Number three, we have the defeat of the enemy. Philippians 4.11, we already read it once, but Paul said he's learned to be content whatever state he's in. And back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want you to imagine for a minute a detective working on a, a case, you know, murder or something, or it really doesn't matter what kind of case, but let's say he's working on a murder case, a serial killer, he's killed a bunch of people. The detective is just trying his best to find this guy, and he's just not running into any evidence. No matter where he goes, he's just not getting any, anything to lead him to him. He's just always a step behind. And then, you know, his buddies at, you know, the police force or whatever, they're like, you know, you're not, you're not, you don't even found a fingerprint, dude. This guy can't even find a fingerprint. He's been to every crime scene. He can't even find a fingerprint. The guy's like, okay, I need to find this fingerprint. I need to find this guy's fingerprint that'll at least give me a good start. Okay, so he starts going to every crime scene again and again looking for a fingerprint. He works on it, works on it, works on it. Finally, finally, at a new murder, he just happens to scrounge up one fingerprint. And he's just like, yes, I got it. <sighs> Job well done. Got the fingerprint, it's over. It's over. That's all I needed was a fingerprint. He doesn't have the bad guy. He's not even worried about it anymore. Now he's just worried about the fingerprint. We set our goals too shallow. C.S. Lewis said this concerning our, our desires, our seeking of pleasure. I just want to read this to you. It says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. That guy shouldn't be giving himself a giant pat on the back for the fingerprint when he still hasn't caught the killer. And see, we set our goals on the wrong things. So parents, for instance, I was just talking about young adults going to college, please, parents, as a youth pastor, I implore you, while you're encouraging your kids to go to college, while you're encouraging your kids to get a career and be successful, encourage your kids to seek first the kingdom. Because let me tell you this, you don't want your kid to be successful and have a good career. What you want is you want your kid to have joy, you want your kid to have peace, not have to worry about things, you want him to have all of his needs provided, you want him to be righteous, you want him not, I mean, you want that kind of success. You don't want success at the cost of joy and peace. You don't want him to spend his whole life stressed and sad because he got a good career. You want, if he gets the good career, you want him to be happy. You want him to be at peace. You want him not to be worried about whether or not he's going to lose that good career. There's more important goals. And what happens is we set our eyes on these things, the career. Got it. That's it. I'm good. Whew. When God said, seek first the kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Success, career, actually, specifically, it talks about food, money. Oh, what else is in the kingdom? Peace, joy, righteousness. You see, all these things that we can set our eyes on, he says if we set our eyes on him, will be added to us. See, if we seek joy, maybe we'll get joy in life, you know? It's kind of a hard goal to attain by itself, honestly. But if we seek joy, maybe you'll find joy. But what does it merit you if you lose your soul, the Bible says. If you seek a good career, 
That's great, but what if it costs you your family someday? What if it costs you your peace? What if you hate your job, but you're making good money and people look up to you? Do you really want that? I mean, what you want is to be over here in the kingdom of God and look back and be like, hey, while I was coming over here to meet with Jesus, I got a good career. I was successful. I was happy. I wasn't worried like the people around me. When we set our goal on the things of God, Psalms actually says that those things will follow us. Psalms chapter 23 Chapter 23, verse 6. It's talking about, you know, that it's this verse, to give a little back backstory on it, he's talking about how he is like a sheep and God is his shepherd and he follows the shepherd and the shepherd leads him beside still waters, restores his soul. And then he gets to verse 23, I mean, verse, 20, verse 6, chapter 23. And he says, Surely goodness and mercy, or love, depending on the version you have, goodness and love, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Follow who? The sheep that's following the shepherd. As we follow God, goodness, mercy, love, righteousness, peace, joy, all of our needs provided, those things are pursuing us. They're chasing you down. You don't have to pursue them because they will pursue you. The goodness of God will pursue you as you pursue his goodness. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And we don't have a lot of time to get into detail on that. That's probably like a whole sermon series that pastor's already preached here and will continue to preach for the rest of his life. What is the kingdom? But just to, to give some brief overview, we already had the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But let's step back in Matthew chapter 6 a little bit further. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, go back to verse 19, Chris. If you could put it up there for me, it'd be great. Okay, go back a little bit further. Verse 12. All right, back to nine. I'm almost there. I'll just keep moving him backwards until I get there. Yeah, it's actually definitely verse nine. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is the same chapter. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now notice, he does seek his needs there, but before he sought his needs, he sought first the kingdom of heaven. The first thing he prays for is, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a king's domain. It's the domain where the kingdom has authority. It's the place where the king has authority, where his will is done. Really, when it says, your kingdom come, your will be done, those aren't two separate requests. That's a clarification on the first one. Your kingdom come in your will being done. And the, ver the word is actually in, not on, when it says in earth or on earth as in heaven. It's actually in earth. We are made of earth. Like God said that he made us from the dust of the earth. God wants his will to be done in our lives and in this earth. So the kingdom of God, as we're seeking the kingdom of God, what we're really seeking is that God's will we want to know God's will. We want to follow God's will. We want to fulfill God's will in our life and in this earth. And as we seek to follow, to know, to fulfill the will of God in our life and the will of God for the people around us, the will of God for the world around us, that his justice and his righteousness be done, that love reign. As we're seeking these things, as we're seeking to know over here in the spirit what God is doing 
so that we can, with our soul, make our flesh follow suit. As we're seeking that, God's going to add everything else to you. You don't have to worry about success. You don't have to worry about whether you're good enough, whether you're righteous. You don't have to worry about whether or not you'll have food on the table tomorrow. And I understand that is, a, you know, as we were watching Families Feeding Families even a moment ago, I mean, that's a, that's a real problem in the world we're in is, is hunger. But I tell you what, God will take care of you, even if, even if you just have a little faith. But you can step beyond just a little faith and not just have your needs, but have peace. No longer be stressed about it. My family was always pretty poor. Not, you know, we were, we were, there were, we had times that were better than others, but uh, as a kid growing up, you know, I mean, my, my parents, when they first had their first kid, they were living in a firebird. They had a firebird, but yeah, that was their house too. They were living with a baby in a car, you know, and as they, as they went along, you know, they end, we ended up living in a bus, which was actually because they were traveling ministers. It wasn't just a matter of, of money, but the fact was they ran into a lot of times where they didn't know where their next meal would come from. You know, all they did would pray about, they'd pray about it, a bag of groceries would show up on their front door. God will take care of you. God, God wants to take care of you. Goodness wants to pursue you. So I understand if you, if you have real problems that deserve real worry. But see, the contentment that Paul's talking about in Philippians isn't, isn't this, I'm okay where I am type of thing. That, you know, because I mean, we all want to, to better ourselves, to further ourselves. And if we look at that contentment and be like, eh, I don't know about that. Because if you're content, are you just always going to stay there? The contentment Paul talks about, Paul also talks about how he's always pressing forward. The contentment Paul's talking about is this. You know what? I'm okay with where I am today, but it's not where I want to be tomorrow. Keep on pressing toward the prize. Yes, keep, keep on trying to better yourself. Keep on, you know, pursuing what's going to take care of your family. Keep on pursuing a better relationship with God, but stop looking at the past. See, the past is dead, and God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Your past is gone. God isn't wanting to deal with your past anymore. He's wanting to deal with your future. So in the present, we're making decisions not based on our past, but based on our future, based on where we want to be in the future. We're accepting where we are. We're accepting that we are forgiven, that we are taken care of, that we may not be as well off as we want to be, but that we are taken. I mean, as that video showed, it was a pretty incredible statistic that just by having money in your pocket and money in the bank, you're basically in the top 12% of the world. That even, even... it may not be as much as you want, but you're taken care of. In the meanwhile, you can keep pursuing to go further, but you're not doing it out of worry, out of fear, out of an ambition that doesn't look first to the kingdom of God, but you're doing it in peace, that as you take steps forward, God is with you, and that you are following the will of God, and that God is moving through you in this world. So I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. God, Just let your peace reign in our hearts, Jesus. God, teach us how to focus our thoughts and our emotions on you, God. On the peace that you've given us in the spirit, God, that we are seated in heavenly places, that you've made a place for us, God, and that we are there with you, Jesus. God, that even in the storm, God, even through hard times, we can have peace. Jesus, Teach us, God. Transform our hearts. 
Transform our hearts, God, to experience that peace in every situation, Jesus. And through that peace, God, let righteousness and joy reign in our lives, God. Let us experience the joy of the Lord, the place where there is pleasure forevermore at your tide. God, let us experience that in you, Jesus. Let us, let us find our hope in you, God, rather than our fear in the world. Be transformed today. Holy Spirit, work in our souls, God. Work in our hearts. Make us new, God. Give us new perspective. 